hard uh, in a way to do justice to two such huge areas uh, of our world, health and education. Uh, but there's no doubt that Jesus Christ and his teaching and the years that he spent on this earth model something radically different to anything that the early world knew before he came along. He radically changed education, and we're going to start there. Education was for the elite. It was, if you like, the, uh, the rabbi who educated selectively those who could follow. It was an elitist thing. And Jesus comes along and he teaches from a boat. He teaches in the middle of the marketplace. He teaches a woman at the well. He teaches through stories and through what we call parables that make education accessible for every single person. Rich or poor, slave or free, man or woman, he wanted people to learn. And this great commission that, that Tim has just read out was to go and make disciples of all the nations. And uh, that's a, a mission of this church, to go and to grow people as disciples of Jesus, to get people to know Jesus. That might be you today, wondering who this Jesus is. And the word disciple, actually, in one of the uh, distinctions, actually, of a disciple is a learner. One of the definitions is a disciple is a learner who learns in order to put into practice. So these disciples, these untrained fishermen, these people that followed Jesus in the first instance would have been amazed that he chose to teach them. And not only that he chose to teach them, but he said, and now you go and replicate this. Now you go and tell this truth that will set people free, free from our sins, free from the things that we do that is hurtful to us and to our world and to God. He said, go and make disciples that the truth would set them free. The difference that uh, faith bringers uh, have brought across our world uh, in the name of Jesus, the, the difference that they've made in education. One such person uh, is a guy, uh, I don't know if you've come across him, called Bob Goff. And Bob Goff uh, is head of uh, Release, uh, foundation which is set up to give legal aid in America to those who can have no voice, who actually can't pay, can't access legal care. Now Bob grew up not doing very well at school. Uh, he was not uh, top of his class, he was nowhere near, but one thing he was quite good at was arguing. You might think, oh that rings a bell, my teenagers are the same or I'm the same or whatever, but he was good at arguing and also he followed Jesus and he uh, came to know and love the teachings of Jesus. He believed in justice. He believed in access for all, all of the things that Jesus stood for. And so he thought, I want to set up a, a charity, a, a trust, where somehow everyone can get someone to fight for them in our system. And he wanted to get into law school in America. He tried hard. He went and bought a book from the, the kind of equivalent of the pound store for a dollar. And he tried to train himself up in how to get into law school. Everyone else had their own tutoring, if you like, but he couldn't access that. And he failed every entrance exam he went for. Nowhere would have him. And he said, well, God, have I got this wrong? And some of us, I'm sure, would have given up at this point, but not Bob. He decided that God, even 
even more wanted him to do this, so he went and sat outside the principal of the office of the place that he really wanted to go, and he waited to see the principal. The principal uh, asked him in, he checked his name on the list of people coming in, and he said, I'm sorry, Bob, you're one of the ones really hard, but you, you didn't get in. I don't know if you got that communication. He said, oh, yes, I got that, uh, but I still believe I'm meant to be here. I really believe I'm meant to be here. You need people to speak up for the voiceless. I'm passionate. And the principal sadly said, you know what, I can't give you a place. And he said, you could if you wanted to. And he said, I'm going to sit outside your office every day until that brilliant day when you look me in the eye and say, go, Bob, and buy your books. And he waited. Uh, Bob Goff, who's got an amazing reputation now in America, waited daily outside that principal's office until on the third day of term, when two people dropped out because they weren't as passionate maybe as Bob, um, he looked him in the eye and he said, go buy your books. He relented and uh, now Bob does incredible work with the Release Foundation. He's a trained lawyer. Um, and I love that story for a number of reasons. I love it because if you look at teaching, he failed. But there was something in the education of the Spirit of God that got him excited, that got him engaged with the things of our world, that put in him maybe a slightly disruptive personality in some ways in his early years. But he says he now uses that for good, for the gospel of Jesus. And throughout our world, there have been men and women who have blazed a trail in the name of Jesus so that the, the least and the last and the lost can access education. The poorest in our world can have education and health care. Jesus, in his words in Matthew 25, talks about the sheep and the goats. And he says, you know, he actually looks some of the disciples in the eye and he says, you know, when I needed someone to visit me in prison, you came. When I needed food, you gave me food. When I gave you water, when I needed water, some of you gave me that. And they said, when, Lord, did we do that? We didn't do that. You've got that wrong. And he says, when you did it for the least of these, you did it as for me. And really the Christian gospel is how do we live that out? How do we live that out in our healthcare? How do we live that out in our education? How do we make disciples that are making a difference as we educate, as we care? Uh, some little cheeky quotes here on education. Uh, some you might agree with, some you might not. The first one is intelligence plus character is the goal of true education. Martin Luther King. I think that's modelled here at Queensbridge in the way that actually it's about the education of the whole person. It's not just about the teaching academic point by point learning. It's about the whole of people. It's about inclusion. It's about celebrating every person. Aristotle said, educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all and actually can be quite dangerous. That's me, not him. Um, Nelson Mandela says, education is the most powerful weapon which we can use to change the world the most powerful weapon. Uh, and so many still today. In Afghanistan today, 46 men can access education under the Taliban regime, 14% of women in terms of literacy, in terms of education. We've got a long way still to go. And finally, and I put this in rather naughtily because I like it, Mark Twain said, I've never let my schooling interfere with my education. I would say that was true of some of my schooling. Um, how we educate uh, is not always about in the classroom. It can be extracurricular. It can be about the whole of life. And Jesus models that beautifully. The way that he taught was not the scholastic way that people were used to. They knew that they hadn't made the cut to be a rabbi 
if they were fishermen, if they were carpentry, whatever they were involved with, they hadn't made the academic cut to be following on as learners. And yet he said, learning is for all and you go and teach others. It was in uh, 1536 that William Tyndale was strangled to death. What was his crime? It was for translating the Bible from the academic Latin into accessible English because he said really what was said there. He longed that people could see the truth for themselves. He knew that he had brothers, he had parents that were merchants that couldn't access through academia. And he was passionate for Jesus. He was passionate that they could actually access, not only access scripture, but work it through for themselves. And he said that's what he wanted, that the truth of the gospel could get into every hand, that literacy would not be a barrier. And I don't know how you feel we're doing with literacy, probably some of you teachers would know more than I do, I still think we've got a way to go. And actually in our churches, even if you think of what we've done here today, we do rely on literacy a great deal. I remember going to church when I lived in Nottingham uh, with a young girl who had been thrown out literally onto the street. She was thrown out onto the backyard that we shared with another house. And uh, she was thrown out with her possessions and a few of her clothes uh, onto the ground outside. And we we took her in. There were three of us uh, students living there. And she lived with us for over six weeks. And uh, it was her pimp who had actually thrown her out because she'd wanted to stop being pimped out uh, in in, uh, prostitution. She wanted a new life. And as we sort of got to know her, her name was Bonnie. She was someone whose her mum and dad were brother and sister. So she was a product of incest. She'd had horrendous things done to her. And uh, we took her to church. She'd never, ever been in a church before. And of course, going in with her, the first thing that happened was perhaps a more traditional church than this, she was given a hymn book. So she's scared anyway, and then she's given a hymn book. Now, nobody was to know, I'm not blaming anyone, we would do the same, wouldn't we? But that was the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened was a prayer came up on the screen that she couldn't read. We then went into some liturgy that she couldn't read. And the whole of the service, in a way, maybe reinforced in some ways a message that she was not included. But because of the beautiful welcome, because of the love that she experienced, when we walked home and we got home, she said she loved that place. What a happy place to be. And she said for the first time it made her want to learn to read and write so that she could be a part of it. And I think there's something in the gospel of Jesus that says let nothing be a barrier to everyone being able to access the worship, the learning, all that we access in Christ, all that we can read and learn from each day. And as we look at the difference that Christians and Jesus Christ has made in education, we can see that actually over the years things started to change, that the early church uh, really was a movement that, that took education out, that took it to all the nations, and that real commission to us to do the same. Uh, we're going to look at now at health and uh, health care and look at um, really the fact that Caring for the least and the last and the lost, if you like, is just as integral to our health systems, our care. If you think of what Jesus did on the earth for the time that he was with us, for a short time when Jesus Christ lived, he did two things really well. He restored people internally and externally. He brought health to people. He brought hope to people. He brought healing to people. 
with gentleness and authority. And he taught. They were two things that we know that Jesus is and was passionate about, that God is passionate about. And healthcare is uh, something that we know, obviously, in the United Kingdom, we're incredibly privileged uh, in the healthcare that we have. I'm sure very uh, grateful and protective of our NHS, uh, particularly in these days. But we also know that in our world, uh, there are many people who can't access the same level of healthcare that, that we can. And there were some sisters uh, that we're going to hear about who came, uh, first of all, out of Dublin, uh, Dublin in Ireland. And uh, they believed in this commission that whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers, you do it for me. So much so uh, that one of them, who was quite a wealthy lady, Mary um, Aikenhead, uh, decided that she would set up a charity that would look after the poor in terms of health. She could see that in the factories, people were getting much, much more sick uh, than anyone else and uh, that they were getting ulcerated, that their breathing was a problem. And she started in Dublin to train up four other sisters uh, of, of a convent to actually start to deliver health care. And uh, it was such a movement of what they were able to do for the poorest in Ireland that they caught the attention of someone way over in Australia. And uh, he contacted her, these sisters, and said, would you come over to Australia, to Sydney, and work with the poorest in our city? Because we have a problem that we don't pay doctors to look after the poor at all. But we've heard of the model of what you're doing, and we'd love you to come. It took these five sisters six months to travel by ship, to go over, to start off what is now the second biggest health trust in the whole of Australia, St. Vincent's. And they started that up on the principles of Jesus. And they said, we really want to replicate the, the teaching that Jesus had, that actually physical needs, as it says in James, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, and does nothing about their physical needs what good is it and uh, they believed that actually it was okay to set people free with the truth but you needed to take care of them as well and uh, so the health system changed really again to access the poorest people in our worlds as early as uh, the year 360, uh, Emperor Julian saw what Christians were doing in healthcare and in education. And he was a, a, an atheist man, he had no faith, but he said this, this movement of what Christians are able to deliver, particularly to the poorest in our world, he said this, he said, they are outwitting us with their kindness. And I would love it if that could be said of us, I'm sure in the many ways that uh, we've heard and other ways that we are wanting to be the kindness of Christ, the gentleness, the compassion of Christ. Wouldn't it be great if someone today could really say the same of our church, of our lives, that we're outwitting, if you like, other structures with our kindness, with our creativity, with our insight. It's already happening, we know this, but I'm sure we're hungry for more of it. And uh, as we said, those five sisters were disempowered women over in Ireland, in Dublin, a very small place in our world, and yet they reached international uh, attention so much that they actually changed and shaped what went on in healthcare. 
Just uh, Adrian Plass talks about uh, somebody that he knew who didn't believe in Jesus, who was an atheist, and uh, his wife was a Christian, uh, went along to church faithfully and prayed for him that he would know the same truth that she did. And uh, for years he was bitter, for years he resisted it, and all sorts of things were done to reach this guy and nothing did. And then he had a spell in hospital in our NHS. And he said what finally convinced him of a loving Christ was watching the nurses on his ward, watching them care, watching them unconditionally love, particularly a man in the bed opposite him who kept screaming out, swearing, who was covered in sores and uh, was just making life extremely difficult for the healthcare team there. And he watched this one nurse and the way that she was with him day after day and uh, actually just sometimes holding him while he cried out because he was in so much pain and so much fear. And he said the final thing that convinced him was watching her caring for this guy. He felt a voice inside of him as never before say, that's how I love you. With all your sores, with all your bitterness, with all your shouting out in the darkness, that is how I love you. That's my love for you. And Jesus' ministry was about revealing God's love for every single person, practically worked out through our hands and feet, through the body that we have here. And uh, as I said, the difference, uh, not just in Australia, but across the world that has been made by people like Bob Goff, who've said, he said, I didn't wait for God to open a door. He said, I know that's how God sometimes guides. But he says in his book, sometimes you've got to smash a few doors down. Do you like that? I like that. Because I think that's the gospel. I think the gospel that has made people make these huge innovations in health and in education has been about if you hit a door and you feel called, how do you actually bring that down? Whether it's the sisters in St. Vincent's, whether it's Tyndale, uh, whether it's the Lutherans, whatever it is that actually we do that because Jesus first says, go and make disciples of all nations. So we can recognize then that Jesus has made a difference. Uh, His teaching is making an impact all over our world, but also the part that each of us have to pay, as we heard there, to play in actually keeping that going, because it's not there yet. Those statistics that we we heard from Tim at the beginning and some that I've read uh, just in recent times about the poorest in our world still not being able to access education, still not being able to access clean water that leads to health or health care. So we've got a long way to go, but Jesus has put us in this generation to be those game changers, to keep on saying that's not fair, like Bob Gass in a way waiting, persisting, saying I have a voice and I want to use it for good.